0: Hello, and welcome back to Dagish America Presents. I'm your host, Ben Harl, and I'm so happy to have the opportunity to talk to you again about the industry that I work in. On the last episode, we spoke with Bob Warren about stored product pest inspection tools and techniques. And if you haven't had a chance yet, please go back and give that episode a listen in this final episode of the season we're going to talk about a very specific tool we use to help identify and select control methods the pheromone monitor we've invited ethan Esterbrook from insects limited to join us to discuss the role pheromone monitors play in stored product pest control ethan is a board certified entomologist with extensive experience in both entomology and fumigation and is currently working at insects limited so, please, help me welcome Ethan to the podcast. So, Ethan, thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us today. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Ben.
0: So, uh, before we get started on this really big topic we're going to talk about today, pheromone monitoring, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so my name Ethan Nestrick. I'm one of the research entomologists here at Insects Limited. And one of my primary jobs here at Insects Limited is is to study the behavioral aspects of some of these stored product insects um, and introduce different chemicals, pheromones, and try to find out different attractants to help lure insects into some of these traps then. And so that some of these pest management professionals can use these monitoring devices uh, to better monitor insects um, in a particular facility. And so that's that's my primary job here at Insects Limited. Um, I've been with Insects Limited for um, about three years. Previous to Insects Limited, I was a regional manager at Fumigation Service and Supply, uh, managing a lot of grain, seed, food processing, I guess the industry and, and companies, and really have been really passionate about animals and just biology. I got a degree in biology at Purdue University I'm um, at Purdue University. I worked in the um herpetology lab, which um herpetology is not the the best name, but herpetology <laughs> is the study of reptile and amphibians. And uh, one of my uh, passions is is going out uh, herping, which is going out and looking for snakes and salamanders and frogs at <laughs> um, at night. So so yeah, I'm a big outdoors guy. um love working with insects. I uh, love getting dirty and i loving. To help people out with different insect questions or situations they're seeing out in the field, uh, so it definitely sounds like we're talking to the
0: right person when it comes to the study of insects and specifically how pheromones work within the insect world.
1: yeah, and so pheromones is really cool, I guess means of communications of that these insects and other animals have evolved to really communicate to one another without having to do, audio cues or visual cues. Um, and so pheromones in general are these, gosh, they're, they're part of this greater semiochemical family. And semiochemical is just these chemical, I guess, cues that animals can pick up. And so pheromones are specific chemical cues that elicit a behavioral response and animals of the same species. And so that's, that's important um, to note because there's other chemicals like pheromones, alimones that don't work um, exactly like pheromones do. Okay.
0: And correct me if I'm wrong, but the different pheromone cues, I mean, pheromones are used to cue different things. They cue food sources, they cue for procreation, they cue for danger or the potential of danger. Is that accurate?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, pheromones can be tactile, like with a lot of ant species. Ant species will um, lay a pheromone on the ground to to tell other members of the ant colony that, hey, this is the pathway to find our food source and to come back to the ant nest. And that chemical cue can also uh, deter other insects from encroaching on their path. And then there's soluble pheromones that are waterborne. Um, that some fish will use to try to find one another. And then there's airborne, which we use quite often in stored product monitoring. Um, And that's where some of these food moths, like the Indian meal moths, warehouse beetles, cigarette beetles, uh, flower beetles, they're able to pick up those airborne or those volatile chemical cues in order to find one another.
0: Okay. So that's pretty much the pheromone that we in our industry kind of concentrate on the most, if I'm correct, are the airborne pheromones, because most of the time we use pheromones to our advantage to help monitor for insect populations,
1: right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And so with, uh, particularly with stored product insects, a lot of these insect species use those volatile or airborne pheromone cues to communicate to one another and so there are different types of pheromone communication like with the indian male moth the the female uses a sex pheromone to attract male moths to her um, which is a little bit different than like a aggregation pheromone where the flower beetles the male flower beetles will produce this aggregation pheromone or we kind of like to call it the party pheromone that (laughs) attracts both the males and females To a given area and all the insects will come together. It's a party It increases the opportunity for copulation um, within that group. So most of the time when
0: we're using pheromone monitoring, it's typically the reproduction pheromone that we're talking about for our industry, right?
1: That's correct. It's primarily the sex pheromone and the aggregation pheromones. And now there are also some caromones and like uh, some food odors that you can use to help enhance that sex pheromone or the aggregation pheromone attraction to a particular trap. And so when you combine different uh, scents, different food scents, and these different sex pheromones together, it increases the insect's likelihood to visit that trap because there's a lot of great stuff for it there. Uh, the <laughs> right. opportunity to mate, the opportunity to find food, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Sounds like a great party for them, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, you know, we're talking about using pheromones in order to help track some of these insect species that we come into contact with in food processing and other areas. But we have to have some kind of a tool to use with the pheromones. I mean, it's not like we're putting it in a spray bottle and spraying it out into the open air and hoping that we can count the insects that fly around. So Mm -hmm. we use monitors. Can you kind of give us an explanation on what some of the different types of pheromone monitors there are that are available for us to be able to use?
1: Yeah. So you're exactly right. There's kind of two sides. You have the pheromone lure that attracts the physical insect and you have like the means of capture. How do you physically capture that insect so you can physically see it, identify it and understand what that insect is and and why it's there. And so with some of the flying insects for stored product facilities, there are these milk carton uh, hanging pheromone traps. Um, And there's this uh, sticky, tacky glue in there. And so when you introduce that pheromone lure in there, that the male moths, or in some cases, the aggregation pheromone attracts both sexes, they'll come smell that pheromone and visit that. And then when they get close to that pheromone lure, they'll get stuck in that glue. And once they're caught there, and that's how some of these pest management professionals can monitor these facilities is identifying how many insects have been captured in a pheromone trap over a given period of time. And so there's, there's also pitfall traps. So there's some species of insects that are better crawlers uh, than flyers. I mean, you also kind of think about temperature, cooler temperatures, insects aren't flying around as often. And so um, using pitfall traps or floor traps might be a better alternative than a hanging pheromone trap. And then the uh, field crop industry, um, they have a lot of these hanging pitfall traps, um, and those work really, really well at capturing male insects that smell that pheromone lure um, outside in a, a field setting.
0: Yeah, and and when you're going out and you're looking at pheromone monitors, um, and I think a lot of us that work in the pest control industry, and especially in food processing areas and things like that, we see these monitors all the time, even if we don't know what they are. Typically the hanging craps kind of look like a diamond, like, you know, and I really the that you said the, the milk carton analogy or, or explanation because you're exactly right. Mm-hmm. The construction of it almost is like that milk carton, that paper milk carton kind of material, but it opens up and it almost looks like it's a diamond shape in most cases. Okay. And I know when we're walking up and down aisles, we see that quite a bit. And then the ones that are on the floor, are often called like a dome style trap. So they look almost like a little, typically they're lighter colored, but they almost look like a little hockey puck
1: (laughs) that that sits directly on the floor. So, um, Yep, and those those pitfall traps, they have the incline. So the insects will, usually they're crawling on the floor. They hit that incline, they go up the incline. And then there's that point of no return where they fall into the trap And then there's, they're essentially in a pit, so they can't get back out. Right.
0: Pretty standard, simple design, but it works very, very well. And coincidentally, they're not just used in food processing areas. You can actually see these traps in, you know, things like grocery stores. I mean, you know, a lot of these grocery stores, they have bird seed aisles. They have aisles where the potential for stored product infestation take place. So you can see some of these pheromone monitor traps in areas other than food processing as well.
1: Yeah. And I... I'm one of the individuals here at Insects Limited that physically makes the pheromone. And so I have just the pheromone on my clothes and on my skin. And sometimes when I go out to the movie theaters, it drives my <laughs> wife nuts. But I'll get Indian meal moth flying around me at the movie theater. Um, they're feeding on some of the popcorn material. But yeah, you're absolutely right at retail stores around some of the bird seed aisles. I see a lot of Indian meal moths. We have a grocery store down the road where before COVID, they had this communal. Nuts and seed dispenser where you could pull the chute and um, collect whatever seeds or nuts um, that you prefer and then close that back up. And so that's a piece of equipment that's really, really difficult to clean. And so they had uh, Indian meal moths um, that got in there. And after COVID, they actually took the whole system out and then just had individually packaged peanuts and seeds that they sold. So the insects weren't able to physically penetrate that type of packaging.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, I never even thought of that. And I've seen the dispensing equipment that you're talking about in a wide variety of grocery stores where you kind of fill the bag on your own. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. honestly, I didn't even think about those becoming infested, but it certainly makes perfect sense now that you've mentioned it. Yep. So anybody out there that's using those, you know, use at your own risk, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Make sure you inspect the nuts
0: before you eat them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Another thing that I wanted to talk about, too, was the placement of some of these pheromone monitors, because it becomes important to know where they need to be placed. So just seeing them out in the facility is one thing, but actually being the person responsible for placing them out into the facility is a whole other thing that has to be considered. So what are your recommendations for a person who needs to start from scratch and put pheromone monitors out in facilities?
1: That's a great question. And And it really depends on what information you're trying to determine, what information you're trying to figure out. And so that's where I would start first is what's the goal of the program? and so depending on your goal it could be hey do i want to identify the presence or absence of a particular stored product insect species and when you're doing that you really don't need a whole lot of pheromone traps to determine the presence or absence of an insect in a particular area Um, you can do population monitoring and so that generally introduces more pheromone traps um, in a given area on a grid pattern you can try to identify a threshold and establish risk assessments. Um, and you can also evaluate or understand the effects of a control treatment, say like a, a fumigation if a particular area of a facility was fumigated. Uh, you can introduce pheromone traps in that area to see, hey, was our treatment effective? And so that's I guess the number one spot that I would start off with is um you need to identify. What information you are wanting out of a good pheromone monitoring program? And a- after you've established that, I think the second is f- going out and physically placing out some of these devices. And when you place out these pheromone monitors, you want to place them out in areas where the insects are going to be at or generally at in the facility. And with stored product insects, a lot of times we see that they're around stored food goods, and depending on the facility, it might be, a system that can't be easily cleaned there's dirty or dusty equipment in that area where there's generally an increased amount of insects and so having pheromone traps around that area will kind of help you better understand what the populations are doing and i one of the most important factors to think about when setting them is thinking about the air currents and so the way the the male indian meal moth finds that pheromone trap is that it follows that pheromone plume from that low concentration to high concentration. And I I know you can't see me, but I'm talking with my hands right now. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) But that male moth, he's flying back and forth um, in a facility. And then once he gets that sex pheromone, once he detects that, then he's going to try to zone in. So he's going to keep flying back and forth, following that upwind from low concentration to high concentration until he reaches that point source. And so that's all related with those wind currents. And so if you have a pheromone trap next to a HVAC unit, or if you have it on the end of the aisle by forklift traffic that's always going northbound in this particular aisle, then that might interfere with your pheromone monitoring program. So that's, that's really important to think about when setting up a good program.
0: You know, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I don't think that's something that I myself have thought enough about when I've actually done pheromone monitor placement is the air currents. So I, I think that's a, You really keyed in on something that's extremely important, uh, not just placing with the intention of placing them in areas where you expect high activity or, or high insect activity but also placing them in locations where you're gonna get the best bang for the buck, so to speak, when it comes to how it plumes out and how that pheromone is going to move throughout the facility. So I'm really glad that you kid in on that. I mean, we all always think about things during the initial inspection. And that's usually where I start with that, as I think about that initial inspection And I look for areas where I have expectations for high activity. So, uh, you know, areas where long-term storage of food sources that are attractive to stored product insects are, you know, some areas are going to have longer-term storage than others in some cases. So, you know, putting pheromone monitors out in those areas I think is really important because that's probably where you're going to see a lot more activity. If you're next to another type of facility, that may or may not have an infestation, putting more pheromone monitors on that side of your facility in case outside presence comes in. I mean, so there's all these different factors that kind of come into play with trying to decide where the pheromone monitor placement is. But I'm really, like I said, I'm really glad that you keyed in on the airflow because again, that's something that even I myself haven't thought about enough when I've thought about this.
1: Yeah. And you're exactly right. Something else that I guess when I was Out doing my own accounts. Something that I didn't quite think about as much as I probably should have is maybe trying to do some outside monitoring. A lot of times I've seen now that uh, a lot of these stored product insect species, they are common outdoors, depending on where you're at, but they are common outdoor species. Um, A lot of times we see warehouse beetle ending meal moth on residential bird feeders. And so depending on where that pheromone trap is in the facility, you you might be drawing some insects in. Now, those insects that are being drawn in are going to be males, and so they're not going to be able to reproduce. But you don't want to be setting a pheromone trap right next to an exterior door. You want to be bringing that pheromone trap further into the facility uh, to help prevent that pheromone from attracting outside insects into the facility. But a good way to help determine, hey, do I have outside pressure is to put out a a pheromone trap outside to to see if there's any insects being caught in that outdoor trap.
0: That's absolutely correct. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been into a facility and doing an inspection or an investigation, trying to not not just put out pheromone monitors or, or figure out placement, but just to try to key in on if they have an infestation, where it is and where it came from. And there's been several times I've went out and done that. And I found, you know, through pheromone monitoring, that, you know, there's a higher concentration maybe on one side of the building than the other. And through the investigation, I found out the reason why is because on that side, the overhead doors are open most of the day, you know, whether it's fork truck traffic or whether they're just leaving them open to cool off the inside of the building. And then next door is a grain handling facility or, or some other type mm-hmm. of facility. And, and very quickly you figure out, oh, well, The place across the street has a very large-scale infestation, and this is a (laughs) bleed-over that's coming into this facility. So, um, yeah, the outside monitoring is is very important. Depending on the circumstances, it can be very important. So,
1: And to kind of jump back to uh, just being around these pheromones, making some of these uh, pheromones, I I have it on my clothes. And so I get Indian meal moth in my upstairs bedroom closet. They're well (laughs) away from food material, but I have a little attic access um, in my upstairs bedroom closet and I suspect those male moths are able to to smell that female sex pheromone are flying into the attic and then coming down through the attic access into the closet. You know it's amazing to me just how far the indian male moths, male
0: indian male moths can pick up that particular pheromone, how far away they can pick it up and hone in on it. I mean it just yep. it's it's a good proof of just how successful you can be with monitoring For stored insects, stored product insects with pheromones. I mean, it works very,
1: very well. That's another good point. Indian meal moth monitoring is really, really effective when it comes to monitoring with pheromones. Um, but it's important to note that it, you're not going to get the same effects to other stored product species like the red flower beetle, the confused flower beetle, uh, some of the other beetle species, because just because of their biology, they just are not as driven as that male Indian meal moth is um, to find that female or that that synthetic female lure. That's something I think it's important to point out that you're probably going to be catching a lot more Indian meal moths than you are stored product beetle species. And it might not be because population differences. It might be because there's a difference in the biology between moths and beetles. I'm glad you mentioned that. Although pheromone monitoring is one
0: of the most important tools in your toolbox when it comes to inspection and treatment and monitoring, it's one tool in your toolbox. Yes, it's very successful, but a good inspection, good sanitation, good structural integrity of facilities. Those also count a great deal when it comes to trying to control stored product pests and stored product insects inside these facilities. Yeah, it's a part of that greater IPM program. Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned that. So when it comes to actually treating for stored product pests, we oftentimes use pheromone monitors. You know, we talked earlier about some of the reasons why we use them, you know, the presence or absence. And then we can also use them to dictate when some type of an action needs to be taken to control the stored product insect's pressure inside of facilities. And a lot of times when we talk about that, uh, I hear the term threshold level kind of thrown around quite a bit. So I was hoping Mm -hmm. maybe you could kind of define what the term threshold level means and then how it works.
1: Yeah. Action thresholds are going to be specific to each specific facility, but the action threshold is the point in which an action should be taking place to help mitigate insect pests. And so that's a physical uh, numerical value that's given based on your pheromone trapping. And if insect captures are above that, then X is warranted. And whatever X is, it might be sanitation, might be exclusion, it might be a fogging or a fumigation, um, but it's a action potential to help uh, reduce those populations to a more manageable level.
0: Another thing that I think is really interesting about threshold levels too is different facility types can require different threshold levels. And what I mean by that is You know, a pharmaceutical facility is going to have a much, much different threshold level than, say, a grain handling facility. You know, grain handling facilities are more in an agricultural environment, pest pressure is a lot higher, and the risk for adulteration of product is a lot lower because the product hasn't even been processed yet, whereas like with a pharmaceutical company, it's a clean environment. So your threshold level at a pharmaceutical company may be one single insect capture in some cases. That's not common in most other facilities. Most other facilities, the threshold level is going to be a lot higher than that, but it's very dependent upon the facility, what they're making, what they're processing in the facility. All of that kind of plays a role in determining
1: what that threshold level is. Yep. And that threshold level is a number that should be communicated on from your integrated pest management provider and the QA manager, in which point of, hey, this is what's acceptable insect levels are at the facility. Anything above that is not acceptable. And so here's the treatment actions to help mitigate the insects if populations surpass that level.
0: Right. You know, and I don't think a lot of people who don't work in our industry really think about that too much. I mean, of course, in an ideal world, in the perfect environment, we'd say that the threshold level is one. If you catch one Mm -hmm. insect anywhere inside of any kind of food processing facility, some kind of action needs to be taken. But from an economical perspective, depending on the environment, I mean, that can get pretty impossible to do in a lot of scenarios very quickly or at least so expensive that it's not feasible to do that. I couldn't imagine, you know, a threshold level of one at a grain handling facility, you know, right outside of a farm. I mean, you know, we see insect pressure in those kinds of environments all the time. So, yeah, in an ideal world, the threshold level would be one. But in the real world, realistically, we oftentimes have to set those threshold levels a little bit higher because economics and shutdown time for treatments and all that stuff, all of that stuff has to be factored in. Yep,
1: you're absolutely right. We have these real world constraints that we just we have to live and manage by. Yeah, So I only have one more question for you, and this is a
0: question I'd like to ask everybody that joins me on the podcast. In the chance that we have any new fumigators listening to us, what kind of advice would you give to a new fumigator or somebody new to the pest control industry? What kind of advice would you give them about the use of pheromone monitors?
1: Well, I mean, based on my experience and uh, my previous fumigation experience, I feel like fumigants and pheromones kind of go together like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, <laughs> I a lot like of, that. <laughs> a, lot of, yeah, a lot of these stored product insects are just the way they live and they infest some of our food goods. It's important to have fumigants as a tool to help get rid of some of these insects because they're living inside of our food and we don't want to apply insecticides that are going to leave uh, residuals on some of our food goods. And so it's really nice to have a tool like pheromones to monitor particular uh, stored product insect species um, that go in conjunction with fumigation. And so I think think being able to identify these particular stored product insects by using pheromone traps can really help solve some of these difficult uh, stored product problems that some of these customers might be. Experiencing And so once you identify the insect, know a little bit about their biology, um, what their habits are, their food habits, what their preferences are, and then having the tools available to you to come in and really save the day and get rid of these insects, um, I think it's really, really important to the stored product industry.
0: You know, I'm really glad that you said that the way that you did, because you really keyed in on something important here uh, without actually saying the term, and that's uh, prevention. You know, I mean, our ultimate goal is always prevention. We always want to try to prevent stored product insects from infesting any kind of food. And pheromone monitoring can really, in my opinion, help that along because we can find insect populations or insect activity in certain areas before an infestation really gets out of hand. And so it's one of the key tools that we use for preventing a problem from occurring that renders the food unsellable or unusable in a lot of cases. So, yeah, to me, the prevention is the key, and pheromone monitors are one of the primary tools we can use to help achieve that
1: prevention. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, yeah, based on being out in the field and seeing some of these stored product insects, and it's, yeah, like I said, it's it's really nice to have uh, these types of tools for our industry, uh, both pheromones and fumigants. To help protect our food supply. Yep, and that's the ultimate goal is to keep
0: our food safe <laughs> for use for many, many years to come. So, all right, well, that's the last question I had for you, Ethan, I man, I really appreciate you taking some time to join us today and help answer some questions about pheromones and how they work.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben, really appreciate the opportunity. All right, terrific, thank you.
0: I wanna thank Ethan for speaking with us today about pheromone monitors. The identification of pest types and quantities plays a huge role in determining what control methods should be used. And that's a wrap on Season 3 of Dekish America Presents. We sure hope you enjoyed this season. I know I had a terrific time learning from all of our guests. If you'd like to go back and listen to this season again, or any of our previous seasons, please feel free to do so. There's a lot of valuable information from a wide variety of industry experts in those earlier episodes. And if you have a question you'd like for us to answer, or if you have any topic or suggestions for Season 4, feel free to email us at podcast at degishamerica.com. Or you can also find us on our website at degishamerica.com or on all of the main social media outlets. We wanna make sure we're giving you the content that you want. So letting us know how we're doing is very important. Please keep those comments, suggestions, and reviews coming. And so until next season, I'm Ben Harl. And as always, I hope you have a safe and terrific day.